If you were to drive in any parking garage, lot, drive your car, park it on the street, you'll probably see things that are very similar, not much different from 100 years ago or 50 years ago, especially. And so what we do is we take what's there, we augment and overlay our systems with cameras. And those cameras, we actually teach and train with artificial intelligence. So that way they can actually put two to three million pixels around every car that's driving in and out while blurring and creating encryption. So that way data privacy on every human is protected, but the car is completely recognized. Parking, who cares, right? The best part is typically when it's over. We've all been there driving around circles, looking for a spot and it's it's not fun. The parking industry is ripe for innovation to make the parking process better and to reduce traffic congestion. Gianni Struhl Maximin, the founder and CEO of Pied Parker, explains how his company is striving to disrupt the parking industry and create better outcomes for individuals, parking management companies, and cities. Enjoy this episode. Gianni Maximin, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much, Albert. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, Gianni. We asked this of all of our guests, so you'll be treated the same, which is, please tell us, what is Pied Parker and what does it do? Oh, my God. Trying to keep it not to an elevator pitch, but uh, <laughs> Pied Parker is an award-winning contactless property and parking technology uh, that was created to actually help match those for people that are trying to create the data support lines of vehicles to the property owners. So that way, both will have a tandem of a great partnership in between. So explain to me like I'm actually using it because this is where this is where we want to make sure we, oh, we're fully aware. You know, you mentioned before this like, so I'm talking about my vehicle and myself. Give me a use case and explain where does Pied Parker play in the problem set? Oh, totally. So if you're to drive in any parking garage, lot, drive your car, park it on the street, you'll probably see things that are very similar, not much different from, you know, 100 years ago, right? Or or 50 years ago, especially. And so what we do is we take what's there, we augment and overlay our systems with cameras. And those cameras, we actually teach and train with artificial intelligence. So that way, they can actually put two to three million pixels around every car that's driving in and out mm-hmm. while blurring and creating encryption. So that way data privacy on every human is protected, but the car is completely recognized. So when it's going inside a facility, when it's going on the side of the road, the beauty of it all is that every property owner will be able to know and be able to audit, whereas they couldn't before. They'd get a carousel ticket Right. They print it out where the tickets that you grab, you put it in. They put it in a warehouse in a shoebox for seven years, close to the outskirts of the city because they get audited every two years. Wait, that's actually how it's done? Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, And in fact, it goes a little bit differently, but to not go past like, you know, some of the minutia for it because it, it changes from, you know, the smarter tech adopters for parking operators, managers, and and large commercial holders uh, to try to use camera tech. Uh, and a lot of that camera technology that's in the world actually misses a lot of data. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whereas if you were using your Facebook and it went down 10% of the time, or if you, you're using your, you know, Telegram or SMS, and every 10th message just fails. 
that's kind of what parking technology systems are getting used to. Hmm. So we came in and said, let's kind of clear the slate. We're just going to have the uptime of 99.97%. Let's start there. And our CTO has a couple of unicorn exits of two multi-billion dollar exits here in Silicon Valley, originally from Canada. But he's he kind of came in with the notion of, you know, he and I were both in the telecom field, working in from M&A down to different types of VC work to then starting our own startups and getting exits and making sure that every single one of those were built with quality. And so we came together and said, let's go ahead and do this here. And so uh, Pied Parker basically creates camera systems, creates data that can be used from any single owner of a city. The people are protected from their data. They don't have to worry about their rights, getting tracked down to their home. You know, everything is there to support it. So the car is moving around these smart cities like a credit card. So that way they can be charged with this low socioeconomic status of a household of like a dollar to park somewhere that others are paying five. And those that are from a more wealthier household can pay what would be considered like $4 out of five. But all of them would play into loyalty programs, stimulate local economies. And the most important part is we can then stitch it together and repurpose what GIS data picks up, such as the Google Maps or the Apple Maps and redistribute where people should be going in cities instead of creating these kind of horror stories you see where people park in just these central zones and say, I wonder why the traffic's bad. So this is a much more altruistic or, you know, bigger bigger goal, I guess, bigger mission than just making it easy for parking facility managers. I like how you were framing that up because what we know today is what we know, right? And then that's where I think having conversations like this is so important is to kind of understand a little bit about, well, what do you see? Because what I know and what you see, obviously they don't line up because all I know is what I know, right? And so when I think to myself of being, whenever I go visit super busy cities, I mean, I think largely most of us have parked somewhere. And if we've ever been to an airport, you parked somewhere. Um, What do we know? It's a ticket system or it's like an on your honor system where there's like this magic box where I get to put stuff. I mean, we still have those. Like I tell you right now in Charlotte, a parking lot I just recently went to, it had a digital lot. I could pay via app or I could just stuff cash into the shoe. And (laughs) I'm serious. And I looked at the shoe and I saw there was money in my slot. So I'm not going to lie. I just kind of let it be there because they clearly hadn't cleaned it out. They wouldn't know that that wasn't mine. Um, But the point is, is that's what we know today. And it's, it's not really clear when, how do you, you know, like, that's where I want you to help bridge our audience. Like, how do we get from that to what you're talking about, which is a smarter city that's more efficient, that's better for us be through this technology? Because this is what's fascinating is, you know, I want to understand what you see. You know, I've gone through exercises where you kind of see cities and, you know, the, the interesting aspect of it all is everything's there. Everything's placed from A-list city to B-list city, right? From major metro populations with high densities, with large skyscrapers. We can't shift these things around like Sim City, right? We've got to mm-hmm. really kind of put our eyes on and say, okay, well, it'll take trillions to move a city around like San Francisco, Chicago, New York, you know, even Austin. And so to say, okay, what it's laid out, but let's make it more useful. That's where, that's where we believe the technology that we created was here to shine because we can instantly look, recognize a car. We can inspect it for damage to let the owners know, say, hey, by the way, you parked in this hotel, there's damage and or to tell the hotel, hey, this person's reporting damage, but we found out this wasn't actually caused on the facility. So it's this great honor system that helps bring people together. It doesn't, you know, 
bring people's information that's private. So if you have Tom Brady going to the next Super Bowl, he doesn't have to worry about going to a hospital that's set up by Pi because we're going to petrify his data. We build actually edge computers at every local device. So that means we have small little servers. We bring in 4G, 5G private networks so we can work with any major facility. And I can't speak to the exact facilities. What we work with some of the most secure facilities in the entire U.S., uh, second most secure building in the entire second most secure building in the East Coast of the USA. So they use our systems and these massive RFPs with the largest uh, tech companies that you can find in the world because we're the only ones that provide instant petrification, encryption, as well as a small computer that even if they were to plug into, you can't hack. So it's a great brand to know it's trustworthy. And then most importantly, you know that what you're working with, you don't have to bring cash and credit cards. You don't have to worry about, you know, am I going to have my data taken, right? Do Am I going to put my credit card in a machine where there's skimmers all over the U.S. that can take your data? And you never know because they don't always take money out and go to petroleum pump number five down the street. Sometimes they take it out in 20 days from then. And then you can figure out, oh, my goodness, right? They really tracked me down or they just wait and they sit on it. And that's the most worrisome. So that's that's how we kind of see the world when we get set up. But more important to that is there is some really cool articles you can find that the New York Times actually put out um, called the, the psychology that Uber had put out, where people looked at the tip of the iceberg, which was how long do you wait to get into your Uber? But the reality is, how long are these drivers waiting to get to you? And so if you wait for what they found is if you wait four to five minutes to get picked up, Oftentimes, there's 74% of all the local Ubers idle to pick you up. That means all that's congesting local streets. And if you facilitate that to think of what's going to happen into the autonomous vehicle world, that's going to require systems like ours to help reprogram them from a facility and property data ownership instead of a vehicle data ownership of the AVs where their lines are plugging in. So the properties can say, hey, we're actually only 90% full. Move your fleet over here. So all of these cars can actually be moving instead of people expecting all the cars at once at very similar uh, quadranted times during traffic hours that are very high peak. So uh, I, went to, I went to grad school at Emory University. My school was literally next to the CDC, right? There was, <laughs> there was definitely cameras everywhere, right? And so they would monitor. They were for sure monitoring every person in, every person out. You know, I had my student badge. I swiped in. I drove over to the student parking. Okay. The lab, the scientists and stuff, I could see they were going in a different entrance, right? Inside these facilities, they are monitored. The, the facility owner it wants to know, like you suggested, is something off? Are people's property protected? Are the people that have exited the car, like, are there foreign actors, right? They, they don't let people like hang out there. Because if you... If anyone wants to try this out, go to the CDC and just hang out in the stairwell for a while. Someone will come up and talk to you. They're going to be like, what are you doing here? <laughs> that's, at least that's what it was like when I was there in 2006. Um, so those are like what we know of today. So you're suggesting that if, if these facilities had a better idea of everything that was happening at all times, it would reduce the amount of claims. It would make, as on a, well, I'll start with the consumer because I think consumer is the consumer we can understand for sure like it make it easier for me to park because i just go in i maybe i don't need to grab that ticket thing like it just can sense that my car's there i go to park it can tell and recognize that i'm there anything that happens to my car it can notify me 
anything that does, you know, and then I go get my car and I'm out the door. That's that. But from facility owner's perspective, they hit carry way more liabilities. And you're saying that these systems then protect them more than anything else. And then from there, it also unlocks a new advantage, which is, hey, you can now leverage your facility to help move vehicles around to make cities flow better. Oh, 100%. And what's what's even cooler with that, too, is how many parking lots have you heard of parking in where someone had their car broken into? A lot. Plenty. All the time. Plenty. And that's why everyone has a sign that says, hey, we're not responsible if someone comes steals your stuff. <laughs> yeah, which is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can get into the legal claims when I figured out, which it's like putting a waiver as a gym where it's saying, hey, if you get injured, it's not our fault, which typically you can always get back and, and, and you know, find out fault. But but the interesting aspect of it is we actually provide the high security. We analyze people. We do the motion detection. We do the infrared. We do the black and white. We actually, our AI is real AI on environmental aspects that gets involved in the camera. So that way we have good line of sight on what we need to do, which is read the car. But by doing that, by building that technology, we found is we provide all sorts of really cool user data for people knowing that are, are managing, monitoring, and tracing to say, oh, hey, buy this way. And by the way, user data, I mean, the car stopped for 10 seconds, right? Hey, this vehicle stopped here. There's a line of cars. Let's go ahead and open that gate or tolling lane, or let's go ahead and let them come through and then deal with it afterwards. Or there's a car that came in and there's a different license plate on it going out, which we've seen multiple times. We've had facilities where Cars were coming in and vehicles were being allowed in and some of the most secure buildings in the U.S. that were not supposed to be in. So we're tracing. We're, we're kind of the security teams, the revenue and access control teams for parking and property managers best friend in a post-COVID world. Because as all these things are coming in, people don't want to touch buttons as much, right? People are worried. And what's actually more interesting is a lot of systems before us break so consistently. So you'd have people taking large debts of 10 years to pay for a multi-million dollar system. But on year two, it's broken and they've already amortized the cost for the eight years thereafter with a system that doesn't work. So now they have to bring human labor in there to actually take people's money, credit cards and help them. So an aspect of the property owner allows them trace, allows them to audit without breaking privacy rights. It's all HIPAA compliant, GDPR compliant from the tech stack. And even cooler factors is it happens when 50, it happens between a 50 to 500 millisecond time frame, which is faster than what you might see even on the fastest tolling lane in the world. So we're looking at these laser pinpoints because to us, it's, it's about uptime and speed, uptime, speed and privacy. But to others, they get to kind of reap the rewards where they don't have to worry about the risks that they were worried about before. And then we actually train and have big stacks of teams that are behind the scenes kind of uh, moving and pulling the lever, so to speak, on retraining new tools um, as every single property might be different or the logic's different. Like there might be organ donors for some of our hospitals that are online that need to have faster access um, and they need to have special tools to get into the right route because there's sometimes, uh, so one of our, our clients is the second most used uh, hospital in the, uh, according to the CDC during COVID. And during, during COVID parameters, you couldn't use cash or credit machines. So they needed to get by with, with something else. So it's, it's really cool. We can see it get repurposed. Uh, but the biggest aspect of it is it's kind of changing the formats of the last mile mobility, which causes 
close to 33% of all traffic that's there. So if you can take a third of that out, you pack the environment massively, you save our time, right? 1% of our time in the US is wasted because of parking traffic. So if you can think of us wanting to gain that that year of our life or, you know, some people living well, a little harder, that half of a year of our life, you know, it's it's super, super important. How did you, I guess, come up with the idea to solve this problem in this manner? Because, you know, if I think of like Google Maps data, I know routes, right? Or routes and congestion of routes. Parking is interesting, like you said, or facility slots specifically because it's got it's a capacity game, right? And you are correct. There's no sensors or any data anywhere regarding how much capacity is available. We just know like how busy a route is, right? What were you doing that gave you idea that th- this idea that this is this is the this is the potential way we solve this problem of better mobility? Oh my, that is that's a great question. I I honestly didn't even want to go on it. Um, I was building out in a consulting company that I sold, and I was just getting into traffic jams while going to a brunch in San Francisco. And if you know San Francisco, it was going to the Marina District in Chestnut. Oh, yeah. Yep. And pre-COVID, that is packed, right? You know, I, I hope it, it starts to see the same value because it is, it's great when you're on your feet. Uh, in a car, not so much. <laughs> and I said, wouldn't it be great to use people's driveways, right? Wouldn't it be great if we can just redistribute traffic instantly and give the rewards to those people that live there that get impacted by the traffic uh, and get some value out of it. And kind of measuring this, uh, we started just patenting and patenting and inventing and uh, getting to a point where we are now the largest inventors (laughs) and I'm now the single largest inventor in the world for parking. Never thought I would get that, (laughs) right? With 56 (laughs) patents and, you know, we thought, okay, we, we can't just do this on a peer-to-peer platform. We really got to jump out of this you know, business-to-consumer aspect and focus on an enterprise platform that can re-standardize, re-regulate, create compliance that in this really kind of cowboy Western world of an industry was really lacking, right? It didn't have real good standards. And you know, my pedigree, I come from uh, my, my dad, who is actually one of the inventors of the CT scan. He's the leader of female reproductive healthcare products and medical devices. So when you think of quality, I was always trained by this guy with military intelligence of his background with, you have to do everything that has to be perfect. If anything isn't perfect, why do it, right? Why are you in this? Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of always, you know, in my brain. So I came to this and I was like, okay, great. Well, I need to create some real quality in this enterprise platform. And so I started to try to work with a lot of the vendors in, in this parking world. And a lot of them were, were very much like bullies to me when I was coming to them with some of the best engineers that you can imagine in this space. And I was like, look, we will create free product for you. Free. Just let us into your system. You know, we'll sign whatever NDA, but we just want to not have to pay these software fees. And they were trying to charge us $40,000, $50,000 like for six months out of the year and another amount. And we'd have to work with eight of them. So by the time I'd I'd put my own money in and raise money, I'd have to go through all that investment just to try and experiment. So I said, well. And and this is just to access the parking data as in like how full was a lot? This is just to plug in. It wasn't even getting into their data. So that way we could access their, their tools. And it didn't make sense. And that was just that mindset, right? And so we came to the mindset of, we're going to go ahead and do it ourselves. 
we're going to create web relays and bypass switches to then plug into anything, no matter what they say. And that's what really changed the game. We started to kind of augment, overlay, do exactly what the landlords would want, and then still work with them on the side and say, hey, look, we, we want to work together, regardless of what their decision is of working with us 100% exclusively. And that started to create this really decentralized platform of what we're trying to do here, which is get our edge computers. We can save, encrypt, and petrify before it goes to our cloud. So that way no one can hack, or at least it's going to be very, very difficult and we can provide the safeguard and then plug into everyone for free, free APIs. That's been the mission code of the company. So that way we can still regulate, but allow people to really involve, create some evolutions in the space and create innovations that will change it, right? With the new Web3 blockchain world, we've got factors of our teams that are creating these kind of stitching points of protocols and exchanges because we know there's going to be differences of what's going to happen in the merchant processing world. We know it's going to be different factors of the regulators for the cities to get involved. The cities in every city are paying a quarter million up to a million dollars to have one consultant group to come in and tell them what they should be doing for, for their parking data every year. And to think about that in all these cities across the U.S., but they could just be plugging into data that feeds them. So the parking data might be cheaper, but both groups are satisfied because it's less time to produce this survey. Um, and then more important to that is it creates this kind of new unique accountability where the cities can use their data and say, great, we're going to give freer licenses of businesses in these locations because we really need to move traffic there in this high grossing population with increased vehicle usage per person. You know, I got a chance to host another logistics podcast a while ago. And one of the customers, they talked about how like it was very difficult. This was this happened to be uh, motion like cameras, cameras and mobile camera technology that was going to be mounted to uh, trucks. Right. And they said, like, for a while, people like that eh, sounds nice, man. It sounds nice. But it, I don't know how it's going to work for me. Like, why do I need this? I don't know if I need this because. You're what you're saying is true. It's a hardware component. You, uh, I think we read some of your articles in the past. The reality is, parking or building a parking lot, it's one of the cheaper things you can build that generates cash flow like consistently. Like it's pretty much if you've got a good area, you're going to consistently have cash flow. Um, so you could see how the businesses are resistant to um, new technology. In the trucking industry, in this case, was really resistant to the technology as well because they operate on low margins, high risk. But once they saw the use case of how it can exonerate you in an accident, now their world's changed. Now they're like, okay, a truck accident costs whatever it costs. It's a massive number. And if we can exonerate ourselves by proving that this person was driving erratically, that's a huge win. So it's well worth putting this technology in my vehicle because this alone protects me. And so it was kind of, it started tipping that they're like, they widely adopted this. How about for yourself? Do you have any use cases or stories where it's like, Hey, I, my world looked like this. I'm a parking lot facilities manager. I'm an operator. I don't have your technology. I implement your technology and now things are changing. Oh yeah. It's kind of this interesting use case where we were noticing when we would put our systems on, you know, for instance, there's one of the major airports, I can't say their name uh, in the U S they, you know, probably a top. 10, maybe top 15 in the USA, okay, but not even a top one considered in the world. But they make about $100 million a year in gross profit through parking, more than their airlines. And they're an international airport. Oh, that's a number. <laughs> that's a number. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's interesting about that factor is they were even used to losing revenue. 
And it was just a common case like that one uh, uh, example of saying, you know, imagine using your SMS and, you know, one in every 10 messages just doesn't go through. Mm-hmm. Right. Imagine that world you live in and miscommunication and what could actually bog down. But like they they were getting used to that and we're having to stitch and pay for more money for that. Well, there's also the use case of people have to pay a lot to maintain it. And these technicians and hardware providers that are supposed to be there to maintain these systems are actually not that easy to come by, especially during peak season when things mm. are going down from some of the old traditional providers and having to be maintained like an old arcade game. And so we come in, we say, well, you don't have to pay for that anymore, right? We'll do the stitchings to make sure these gates open if you want them, no gates needed if you don't want them. But one real use case is they're saving close to about $335,000 per one garage hmm. just to not deal with their maintenance. I mean, a little bit past the year, so 12 to 18 months. But when the setup is less than 40 grand, right? And we can sometimes pay for it all for clients depending on their use case. It becomes this like no-brainer to build it in and to actually take over. So they don't have to worry about all this bleed out there. They can worry about security for people in their cars. No more burglaries. They have their systems where we'll set up you know, cameras in areas where it doesn't just monitor entrance and exits of cars. It also monitors uh, the inlets where a human can come in uh, to try to steal one someone's car or, you know, or worse. And so it, it has become a big use case for, for us and where we've been expanding with our clientele, but even more so, so uh, overseas. So working with larger hotels, right, being able to expand uh, in areas where we can now provide this for major event centers. So they were dealing with issues where they'd have to pay a lot, but they'd also have to pay for the police, the fire department to be there on staff, massive staff to be there to, to get people to pay with cash and credit to know where they're going. The whole system is meant to kind of instruct those, get into the right pockets and then have everything kind of work with like a very ease and seamless functionality. One of the things that you said earlier that I'm puzzled by, but I'd love for you to explain a little more is like the need to have the compute on the edge, right? You bring, you guys bring your own, why is that? Yeah. So what we found is a lot of times when people build computer vision is they have burnout and cameras aren't meant to deal with the high load that can otherwise process when you need to put things into them. Yeah. And, you know, when we deal with high heat, so we deal with LA or we deal with, you know, Things in other places around the world, like in Dubai, when it's 122 degrees Fahrenheit, it's a lot to have as a baseline for a heat and then go up from there. Not a lot of <laughs> a lot of cameras will, will stay on. Mm. And so what we found is we, we bring our proprietary edge systems so that way we can actually compute and say, okay, one of them will be able to run things on a stream, images, right? It, it's able to do almost everything that we want. And then once, we, uh, once we've trained it there, it knows what to put in through the cloud and what to put into the cloud, but cold store. So we don't put the high cost on our clients, but rather we're just super smart in how we're doing our databases. So instead of clients paying you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month for, for the storages, you know, we can take on the cost because it costs less than a hundred bucks. And that's not something that was built before, but that's something we've learned. Our AI learns on how it adopts and trains in memory, as well as it's also important because for HIPAA compliance and to work in these high securities, there's reasons why they have these large server farms there. It's because they can't let anyone have access to it and vice versa. We can't let anyone 
have access. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's fascinating. I, mean, I never really <laughs> thought about it. Like, I mean, I knew all the footage was stored because I've I've been to places where, like, for example, I lost my slip of paper. I then go to the gate and like, hey, I don't have a ticket. They, of course, are going to charge me for every day that I'm there. And then they go through like some type of video record. The person's clearly looking up some type of video record of when did I enter? When did I, how long have I sat sitting there? Because so that you, me as a patron, I can't dispute it because they're like, well, your vehicle entered on this date. They clearly have it on video record. They have identified it. You've been here for this many days. So it's this much fee plus your lost ticket fee. This is how much you owe me. That's for like more high-end parking places for sure. That's how they're doing it. I mean, I never really thought about like how much data are they storing? So if you take like a, let's use that airport example. We've all been to big airports. How many cameras are at a place like that prior to you coming? Oh my God, a, a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot. I'd probably- Like how many per floor? How about how many per floor? I would say probably close to maybe 15 to 20, right? Wow. You know, they got to they scan every, every corridor. They have to get the quadrants so that you've got everything mapped out. And then entrance and exits for people for for security, and then what you see a lot of times is they'll put these these cameras that are supposed to be doing license plate recognition, but because of the failure rate on them, they're having different backups of them, <laughs> so they'll have multiple per lane <laughs> right in front, so that's right there in your camera. But they get vandalized because the municipality area around it's hard to create criminal activity to be lower at airports. So there's so much fluctuations, and there's you know different environmental effects on it. So. For us, you know, we, we've we've managed a trend system to work pretty far out, up to about fifty, you know, as far back as fifty meters. But I don't think we'd we'd be doing it on most sites, right? And it's usually about you know ten meters out. What about those modern facilities that have like the sensor that tells you that hey, the space is occupied or unoccupied? You know, like you driving through and you can clearly see like the lights illuminating. Like I mean, I'm assuming those are all interconnected too because they feed they definitely feed a data point to the outdoor garage because I'll see the outdoor garage. It'll say like hey, there's a hundred. 105 slots on you know fifth floor yeah those things are generating data. i was like do you replace those as well uh we can we can uh what we prefer is once we're in every entrance and exit right we've, we've mapped out and built out usually they don't need those because we'll put our cameras also per floor so they can see the occupancies per level right it's very easy from the egress so we can say okay there's this many cars that have entered uh, this many cars have, have exit. So, you know, each floor or gone up the ramp to go on the next floor. So you can see how many spaces are available. But what's interesting is you can put the cameras to aim from afar out so we can actually see and put different slot counts and label. But the most important part of that is that a lot of those systems of the past, they're not accurate. So <laughs> they'll have to be repaired. And there's so many cameras and there's so many issues of having to, to change it. It becomes super expensive for the property to maintain it. So it becomes almost more of a, a hassle to have than it did to actually show these red and green lights of, of where to go to. Now, it's good to have uh, the actual screen. So you can have screens that can label inside the facility once they're in. Um, those have actually some, some positive uh, uh, user experience uh, research cases. So you can see people moving faster in the facility because the one thing that can kind of cause a lot of the delays is people won't look at the red and green lights regardless of it being up and they'll still try to park and wait to find people walking, which car are they going to and, and, and playing that hunting game. Whereas if you just had a screen showing, um, we as, as this, this newer generation have been trained really well to look at screens and read them really quickly. Uh, versus to look at a red and green dot that's past sometimes your your overhead view. No, this is this is interesting. You know, one of the things I I, um, 
I also like to think about when I talk to different guests on this show is, you know, it's always interesting hearing like how they developed their passion a little bit. Cause you kind of said it a, a little earlier and I'd like to dive back into it, before, you know, before closing it out. Your dad, you mentioned your dad was a creator and inventor of some, like, or I call him an, an engineer. He was very exact. He was like, hey, things have to be done, done well. And you mentioned before, like, you, you saw yourself, hey, you know, traffic's obviously a pain in the butt. If you experience it, it's a serious pain. But did you yourself kind of, did you do a lot of research, like, to find out, like, how big this problem, how it could stretch out, what problems you could solve? Like, how did you recognize, I guess, the opportunity? Because I've always, when, let me tell you something. When I just drive by a parking lot, I just think to myself, that thing just prints cash because this is such an easy business to operate. If you get the permits to <laughs> drop a piece of slab, you're golden. You know what I mean? Like, even if you had to hire an employee, it's not that big of a deal. Um, that's what I think. And then I noticed that all the parking in like wherever I've been is, it tends to be owned by like one company. They're clearly m and quite aggressively. Like they're buying up all the lots and probably doing what you said, like introducing the least amount of technology as possible. So they, they just have them. Um, how did you think, recognize like, hey, this is where I want, this is where I'm going to spend the next wave of energy doing? Because you had mentioned you you sold the consulting company and like you went down this route. How did you define the opportunity, I guess, in front of you? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was really interesting. So like our first patents are are getting used in the world now, right? You know, filed in 2015 and, you know, analyzing the markets has been pretty a fun, it has been a very fun exercise for myself and, and the team. Um, and I definitely couldn't be here without them. But what's interesting is I firmly believe, and this is where I think the future is going. I firmly believe there's going to be basically a, a match between what's happening in the crossroads of property technology and vehicle technology. And what's going to happen is you're going to have all these AV and EV pushers to make these cars have so much good data to bring to the cities. Now, what's going to be interesting, and this is the challenge that we are solving is we can bring to the property owners the new data bits that are important that these vehicles need as well as themselves. So they don't have what's called as eminent domain of data. And what eminent domain of data means is that if I am the you know Teslas of the world and I'm providing all this technology and I'm the new AV players that's, that's going to be bringing these really cool convenience factors, well, that's going to push the government to really make everything move in that general direction and say, well, they provide the data. So you all parking, here's a new minimum standard of all you people that have, you know, like you said, they have small margins as well. You now have to give them discounts on all their fleet because we just love this convenience factor of all the people and citizens of this area. And the property owners say, well, we can't afford that, right? That's going to be super hard for us. But with this new data factor, bringing in PIDE, it brings them to have data that they can say, well, hold on for a second. That's correct. There's all these cars that can come in and out, but what they don't know is this. And that's where it's a balancing in the playing field that I think is going to be the future. So it'll allow these vehicles to be the focus points where we are taking the car, not the person, which seems to be everywhere on camera tech. Whereas we're a big proponent, whereas if you get interested, if someone is a hack it, the people are blurred. You can't see a human driving the car. And we took that from the Google Maps view, right? If you look at a Google Street yeah. view and you try to see yeah. someone, because we knew, you know, whatever we're going to be building, it's going to require that because when they get audited at year seven or year two, we want them to always have this data, but never worry past that data privacy. So I think that's the future. I think 
when you're getting picked up. I think there's going to be a lot of different decisions in realizing that people want to get picked up at 5 p.m. People want to get picked up at 8 a.m. People want to go out to dinner at 7 p.m. But what car are you getting into and how many cars does it take to get there? It's going to take a lot. And then how many cars are considered traditional that would cost way too much money to actually rebolster to put sensors and you know systems to make it autonomous. So you're going to have this really big hybrid playing field for the next 100 years. And it's going to be fascinating to see where the traffic's going to go and be allotted for it. Well, Johnny, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing this vision. And, you know, I always, I'm always fascinated by people with like visions. I, I, I like talking to people where I have no clue what I'm about to learn. And I feel like you've introduced a world to me and just haven't really thought about. And uh, I want to say thank you for that. You know I mean, no, I'm serious. Like, dude, because, because yeah, like I said, we, a lot of us just drive by a parking lot and just be like, yo, it's, that's all it is. Like, why would, why, why does that need to be connected to the cloud in any way? I mean, you've got a lot of great use cases. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a sexy market, but it's a very important one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Johnny, this is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work. So our audience can get to know you a little better. You ready? Right. So you've, you've built a couple companies. Are you a builder outside of work? Like, do you like making things, whether it's physical or digital? I I love to tinker. Yeah. I love to tinker. I was doing robotics in high school. I was loving to make any aspect of like design. So I have sketchbooks of where I think things will, will be. Um, but I, I would consider myself more of a designer than uh, a traditional software engineer. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love just thinking of what, what things you can add to the world. Um, and that's what, that's what definitely gets me up. What is a design or product that you saw recently on a UX basis that you were just really impressed by? Um, I love, I, I just installed Nest thermostats all over my house. <laughs> so I, I love the aspect of, of changing this like touch system and then putting into, you know, I, I, I use Google home. I, I don't have, uh, you know, any bets in any field of the new home systems, but use uh, Nest in August, uh, the, the locking and unlocking of houses. And maybe I shouldn't say this because maybe people can hack into my house, but I feel still pretty safe. <laughs> Um, but it's just so easy. I could be, I could be in Dubai. I could be in, in Dominican Republic. It could be Europe and, and the East coast. And I can unlock my, my door, let, let the cleaners in or lock my door, let a friend in. Right. I had friends that were coming in and staying from LA that were like, Hey, I've got myself and my two sons. And, uh, Dave will probably listen to this. So Dave Kim, if you hear this, this is for you. Um, and he, I let them stay in my house and I could just literally unlock the door when they got to the front. There you go. And, and it was just a red circle, tap it, it turns green. I know it's open. They say, thank you. And it plugs into my security system, how I set it up. And I even, I set a pie on my driveway for my parker. <laughs> but like, we didn't have this before. You go back five years ago, no way. None of this was there to, to build in. Now we have these, you know, friendly, safe bridges with routers and technology in your home. So for me, I geeked out on that. I loved it. So it sounds like you're a big gizmo guy. What, what is, besides the thermostat and the lock, what are some gizmos or things that you've experienced recently where you would just recommend? You're like, hey, man, you should check this out. Um, just got a Z4. <laughs> so those that you like roadsters, the, the car. Um, it was the first of, you know, the, the Bluetooth connectivity um, CarPlay systems that worked. And as I was driving, uh, it was bright sunlight going down the highway. I could actually see the, 
HUD display pop up like a Jarvis system for Iron Man. And it just told me where to go, the speed, what was coming up in the road, the song that was coming on, and it would fade out. And I was like, that is so cool. That is exactly what we've always needed because all the rules that we have for tomorrow had been around, okay, as long as it's hand-free, you can look down at your feet while driving because guess what? You're still <laughs> on your, your steering wheel. What this is saying, okay, hands on the steering wheel, eyes up here. Of course, it's going to be minimal traffic because you don't have to look at your phone to fumble. So thought that was cool. There you go, man. So you're a car guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd show some of the stuff from yeah, Concord Elegance and this. Yeah, I see. Oh, I see this. I see the picture right behind yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's some good Grand Prix uh, photos around here. I actually have some Iron Man stuff, but uh, but yeah. <laughs> well, Johnny, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing what you guys do at Pied Parker. Great. Thank you, Albert. It's an honor. <laughs>